What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 244 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday. The regular season is over officially, and there are no makeup games on Monday. Everything is uh, wrapped up in the baseball world. And joining me to discuss what transpired in the last week of the season and more, both Eric Cole and Scott Coleman are here, and uh, the whole crew is back. It's uh, obviously a big show, and what's up, guys? I am ready to talk about some baseball and most importantly postseason baseball with two of my favorite baseball human beings <laughs> yeah it's uh it's crazy to think just i mean truly two months ago we were preparing and hoping and and no one really knew what the season was going to be like and very thankfully the braves were able to get through cleanly and really most of all of baseball with a couple of exceptions early on um, i think it's it's a borderline miracle honestly that they were able to play two clean months of baseball um, not a ton of injuries, which I know is a real concern. And obviously the Braves did well. So a lot of good stuff to chat about. For sure. It's yeah. been, uh, it's been a fun ride. I'll say that it's been a fun one. Uh, the, the Braves, of course, spoiler alert, won the, won the national league East this week. They clinched it. We'll get into that in a second. That happened. They're the two seed in the playoffs. I'll be playing the Cincinnati Reds in a best of three series that we're going to cover later on in the week. But, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot happened, obviously. Um, I want to start, unfortunately, on sort of a low note because it happened right after our last recording. Uh, Cole Hamels, the whole, Cole, the whole Cole Hamels debacle happened on Monday, about 24 hours after we recorded last. So I want to touch on that real quickly. Uh, he's obviously out for the season and probably out for his Braves career. Uh, left shoulder fatigue, all that stuff. He missed all that time early on, etc. And uh, within moments of the announcement, um, Alex Anthopoulos said that Hamels was going to be uh, basically you know, they cut him off the roster almost immediately. Like it was, there was no like, Oh, maybe he'll come out of this. It was, uh, it was over in a hurry. And he can't, he kind of came in on Monday and I guess about four forty PM before the game and said he was having issues. And that was that. So, uh, I mean, broadly speaking, one thing I want to say before I bring you guys on, on this one is, uh, the, f- the final tally of combined. Yes. Combined starts the season from Mike Soroka, Cole Hamels, Mike Fultonavich, Sean Newcomb, and Felix Hernandez, which was five sixth of the top six supposedly supposed starters coming into the season. Those guys combined to start nine times this year, and the Braves still won the division and did so comfortably. Uh, I guess we'll start with Eric first. Eric, what is your reaction to all of that? I know the Hamels stuff is not new, but uh, just sort of broadly speaking, him not being there, the fallout from that, and the fact that the Braves were able to do what they were able to do. Well, I mean, broadly speaking, if you had told me that those five guys would have combined for nine starts, I would have told you that the Braves didn't make the playoffs this year. And that's just the truth, because I felt pretty strongly that it was going to be very hard to make in-season additions 
Uh, and that, that proved to be pretty, I mean, at the trade deadline, there's certainly some moves made, but not a ton of them. The Braves were very clearly reticent to even try to make moves at all. You know, the Tommy Malone trade notwithstanding, that didn't seem to really move the needle very much to me. So if you told me that there was going to be that, you know, that much turnover in the rotation, I probably would have told you that the Braves weren't going to make the playoffs. Uh, in terms of Hamill specifically, as the kind of the season unfolded, you know, they kept talking about, you know, like we'll be able to build his, you know, his innings back up to where he'll be able to make starts in the postseason. And that just never made much sense to me. It always felt like at best he was going to be kind of like, you'll be able to throw three innings type of situation with him because building a guy up that quickly is just really, really difficult, especially after a long layoff like that. He didn't have a spring training that really built up his arm because he was already hurt then. And then he was out for so long. It's just, it, it never made sense to me, and it didn't surprise me that there was a setback that cost him, you know, ultimately cost him the season. Um, I will say to those of you who think that this was the, the Hamill signing was so terrible and he got paid all this money, I think all of you need to understand what prorated contracts are, first of all, because more than, I would say, at least a dozen people a day that his that injury came down, they're like, they, he, they spent, you know, like close to $20 million on him, and that's just not what happened. Um, and, you know, with on a one-year deal with a guy like that, that, you know, the upside was there. You know, I still don't think I have any regrets about the signing. And, you know, one of the reasons you do one-year deals is for things like this where, you know, there, an injury pops up and then you don't feel like you have to, you're stuck for, you know, paying him for another two or three years on top of that. So overall, it really stinks. Uh, I'm genuinely surprised, given the, all the circumstances, that the Braves were able to stitch this season together the way they were. Uh, oddly enough, even though I was basically wrong about how they got there, uh, from our remember the preseason roundtables we did where we had to guess the number of, te- of games the Braves won? Yes. Were you? Did you guys? Yeah, I was exactly correct at thirty-five. You would somehow. Be. So, somehow, I was exactly right. Uh, you know, although I also picked Mike Soroka to be like top three in the Cy Young voting, so you know that didn't work out well so for me. <laughs> uh, you weren't wrong. I don't think he just happened to get hurt. Uh, Scott, you have any thoughts on Hamels? I know we talked a week ago, and you know, honestly, on that on our last show, we were somewhat optimistic about Hamels. Not like it was like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be a huge part of the playoffs, but it was at least on the table. And you know, I still think if he had pitched once this week and looked okay, he would have started a playoff game because the Braves trust their veterans. He's a high profile guy, and that obviously didn't happen. Yeah, as we kind of talked a week ago. I think it was really just kind of a, a cherry on top, right? If you get anything from Hamels, great. Um, when we when we last spoke, I, I don't know how confident I was that he was going to actually be able to contribute at a high level in the playoffs. As Eric said, maybe he's someone who gives you a couple of innings and kind of an opener role because it's so hard just to go from zero to 60 like that and go from making your first start in 12 months to – throwing 80, 90, 100 extremely competitive pitches in the playoffs uh, scenario, right? So um, it's unfortunate. It, it was, uh, it, it, I think if Hamels was right, it would certainly be a boost to the Braves without say, without any doubt. But um, whenever it happened, I, I think everybody was, no one was really holding their breath on Hamels too much. Uh, it was a one-year deal, as we've talked about. There's, there's no real risk. You're going to shake hands and, and say thanks for your time at the end of the year, but it is unfortunate they weren't able to get a bit more of a boost uh, from from a guy who was really going to be counted on, whether it was for the 60-game season or 162-game season. 
Right, and I think people have kind of, you know, it's been six days now. People have kind of reconciled it. Hamels is not a part of the team now, and obviously moving forward, we'll sort of ignore that portion of the fallout, but it was definitely news that broke this week, so I want to touch on it. The other big roster thing, if you want to call it that, is that Pablo Sandoval was officially added to the roster um, and also the postseason pool in in place of Hamels, which isn't a huge surprise. And then Sandoval, a uh, veteran, of course, high-profile guy at one point in time, started at third base on Sunday. Uh Brian Sticker said that Austin Riley tweaked his quad on Friday. He says it's not serious, but he rested Saturday and Sunday. We'll obviously have an eye on that. We're recording this Sunday night, so we don't know anything more about that at this point in time. But even before Austin Riley had that injury, Mark Bowman, good friend of the program, MLB.com, projected Pablo Sandoval to be on the postseason roster. And now we're going to hold off on most postseason talk until our next podcast. But, um, you know, Sticker was talking about the wealth of experience that Sandoval has. Uh, my question would be why they waited till Sunday if they were going to plan on maybe using him in the playoffs. But uh, Scott, I'll go to you first. Like, w- what's your reaction to Pablo Sandoval maybe being a factor now because he was not great this season. He's had some nice moments in the past, but um, for like the last five years or so, he's not been all that good. Yeah, I think I was I was certainly wrong a week ago. I think you and I talked that it would take an injury and maybe it does with Riley going down or, or missing a couple days, maybe it did increase the chances of Sandoval making it. Of course, I know Bowman said on Monday, he thought that Sandoval had a chance to make it. Of course, it was just his projection, but um, you know, Sandoval is who he is. He looked okay. Defensively he got a handful of chances today at third um, looked okay there. He, you know, at the plate, you don't want to make too much of four plate appearances or whatever it was. But um, again, I guess he's going to be in a backup role. You hope that Riley, uh, whose glove has improved so much this year. You hope that Riley's able to be out there, but on the chance he's not healthy or the quad just isn't right on, on Wednesday, uh, I would assume as as rough as Hechevarria has looked defensively, um, he really cost the Braves not just once, but twice this weekend with his defense. I, I would imagine that Sandoval is going to be the guy, which is crazy to think about considering everything that's gone on, but I, I guess it never hurts to take a chance on a guy who has been in the playoffs before and maybe he isn't great, but he at least can put together a decent at bat and catch most stuff that's going to be hit his way. Yeah, I think it's uh, there's a couple factors too. One is that right now your best left-handed pinch hitting option off the bench is Ender Enciarte, which is kind of problematic. Um, and uh, you have that combined <laughs> kind, with, kind um, of kind of problematic. Uh, I'll, I'll, he has looked unbelievably bad. I mean, Nick Marquez isn't that far behind him in terms of how much he's how bad he's looked lately, but. I mean, Ender has been shockingly, like, it is a white flag, like, a pitcher hitting the last few weeks. It is really, really bad. So I think that that's part of it is just to have some flexibility with bats off the bench. That's not as big of a deal with the, with the DH these days, obviously, but, you know, having that option might be uh, valuable. Combined with that, Echeverria has just been, he was so bad defensively, like, cringeworthy plays in the field uh, in third base. You know, I think that Riley's going to be fine. It sounded like that he had kind of, originally injured the the quad against the Marlins and then he kind of like tweaked it a little bit more later in the week, but he was like still taking, I mean, as far as, I mean, I haven't heard any reporting that has changed this, but he was like still taking live BP and, you know, he seemed like he was getting around pretty well, just kind of being extra cautious, which by the way is exactly what the Braves should be doing. Uh, I was, I got actually got a lot of angry tweets this week about saying, Hey, we need to kind of be giving these guys days off, you know, with the division all locked up and everyone's like, no, we have to keep the offense hot. And now all of a sudden starts the guys like getting dinged up and dropping like flies. And I'm like, this is why you rest your players. You know, if they have something nagging, give them a couple days extra. So they're as fresh as humanly possible because this notion of, you know, like 
staying like staying crazy hot and that if you know if you keep playing these guys until their legs fell off that they'll continue to score eight, 11 runs a game or whatever is a little bit silly so you know again that the, the Braves did what they were supposed to they gave them you gave some rest here and there uh they tried to give Freddie Freeman a day off and he still pinch hit and end up winning the game for the Braves so you know that <laughs> kind of worked out for for all sides but you know in terms of Sandoval like I, th- I think it's an in- it's an interesting option. I don't think he's going to like make or break anything. Having guys who have playoff experience uh, in that locker room matters. Uh, I do. I'm a little bit curious to kind of the weight of the moment type stuff. I wonder a little bit about this postseason because there's just not fans in the stadium, so you don't have that kind of crazy raucous crowd. Uh, is that same pressure on teams, and does that going to change kind of what how maybe some of these younger teams and these younger players perform? Um, but ultimately, you know, in terms of Sandoval, I think Riley's going to be playing most of those games unless, you know, he ends up like, you know, having a setback over the next few days. Um, and it's going to come down to whether or not the Braves offense shows up in these playoff series anyway. And I just don't think that Pablo Sandoval is going to make or break anything. Yeah, he probably won't. Um, it's a depth piece. Like you said, you know, the left-handed pitching, pinch hitting options are not plentiful you know this year before today he had 55 wrc plus um before he counted to the braves it's only 90 play to play, 90 play to clearances which isn't a lot obviously but his exit velocity was still pretty good he's hitting the ball hard the problem was he was hitting the ball into the ground his ground ball rate is sky high right now but not a lot of power this year from pablo you see him um, physically looks like a power bat he obviously was a power bat at one point in time that not necessarily this year he was pretty good last year at a 110 wrc plus and almost 300 plate appearances in 2019. But other than that, he has been pretty bad since 2015. Like he has a platoon split for his career. Uh, in fact, a 121 WRC plus against right-handed pitching in his career, which goes to your point about left-handed pinch hit bats, but only 96 on that side of the plate um, since the start of 2015. So a guy who's obviously not, not what he used to be, but if the Braves like what they see in him, um, which I believe at this point in time, he does have that veteran presence that I'm sure the Braves are attracted to defensively. He's not going to get, get you killed at third base. It's fine. I think we'll talk about this on the next show, but you know, him versus Camargo is interesting in a lot of ways, but anyway, he's now a factor in some way, shape or form. And, uh, we'll see what Paulo Sandoval has to offer. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't sure we'd be talking about him today, especially after last week, but alas, here we are. Um, before we get into some of the stuff that actually transpired this week on the field and the clincher and MVP stuff, let's break now and have a word from our sponsors. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else. 
and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, fellas, we're back. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, I don't want to talk about the results too much of this week because what, what Eric was saying before, like, you know, the results weren't all that important. Monday, they got the win. Um, you know, I had a rough start. A nice double play late from Freeman Swanson. It feels like it, feels like it was two months ago. Uh, the clincher we should discuss on Tuesday, 11-1. to 1, It was a party atmosphere to clinch the NL East. Uh, Bryce Wilson gets the start. He was really good, um, which I'm sure made Eric's heart very warm. Um, Marcel yes. Ozuna got hot. Uh, Freeman, Albies, Swanson, all homer. And by the way, Ronald Acuna, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave this here. Ronald Acuna, and I'm quoting here, if you ask me, it's World Series or nothing. That was a direct quote from Ronald Acuna, which I really love to hear. Um, Eric, because you just gave me a, a, a feisty response. Uh, any any sort of lasting thoughts from Tuesday? Because we, we knew this was going to happen for quite some time, that the Braves were likely to win the division. It was mathematical um, almost by then. But, you know, once the party happens, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was a comfortable win, so everybody got, to, everybody got to prepare for it. One of your prospects got to be on the mound for part of it. It was a night uh, sort of built for you. Yeah, it really was. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really happy for Bryce, first of all. Like, he kind of, for a guy as young as he is and has been as successful as he is in the minor leagues, like, I, the Braves fan base has been really rough on him. And, like, I don't think it's necessarily been completely fair. You know, obviously, you have to be certain. You have to have kind of a, a short leash when you have a team that has real playoff aspirations. And, you know, the types of issues he has can be particularly bad on the eyes when you have issues with walks and giving up home runs, but he was never really that guy so much in the minor leagues. And I really felt that he was better than what he had been showing in the major league. So it was really good to have him have a good performance on Tuesday. He would look pretty good today too. Um, just didn't get the pitch all that long. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be a, in the Braves plans for the playoffs. Uh, wasn't the guy that I thought was going to be there, but you know, has looked, has looked really good in that start. Um, I just want to go out and say that I don't know about you guys, but if it is decided that the National League has the designated hitter, the Braves need to throw money at Marcelo Zuna because they're, they're not going to find a better guy on the open market for that position. And he's been really, really good. And I, I don't think the Braves yeah. make the playoffs without him on this roster. I just don't. Yeah, it's amazing. I think Ozuna's been overshadowed really all year by Freddie and Acuna, and with good reason. Those guys have been uh, two of the best players in baseball, as they have been for years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Ozuna from, from day one, or I guess day two with that home run he hit off of Edwin Diaz in the second game of the year, all the way through the end of the year. Um, Ozuna was fantastic. He was consistent. Um, so yeah, absolutely worthy of all the, uh, credit that he gets. Um, yeah, nothing. It was nice to clinch. I know Brad and I, we talked, uh, I don't think anyone wanted this to go into the weekend where the Braves were still having to play meaningful games. They were able to take care of it early in the week, which was good. Um, I guess it didn't necessarily prevent injury from eventually happening, even if they were of the minor variety. But uh, nonetheless, good to get it out of the way early in the week and not have to play meaningful games more than you have to. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Ozuna now for a second since Eric brought it up. Ozuna wins the National League home run crown. There was a moment or two this week in which he had a chance at the triple crown. Now, granted, 
It would have been a little bit of an asterisk for me on the Triple Crown, given the fact that it was a short season. But the first home run uh, crown for any Braves since Andrew Jones in 2005, so that's 15 years ago. Um, Ozuna finished leading the league in home runs, RBI, and he was third in batting average. You know, he was ridiculous, man. He was tied for sixth in Fangraph's war, third in WRC+. I know I've made jokes all season long and with a lot of fun in my heart about people making fun of his clubhouse presence before the season started. One of the more ridiculous things I've ever seen on the internet anywhere, and that's a high bar to clear. Uh, we were right about that, 100%. But not even us, and we were very, we were very, very pro Zuna on this podcast. Not even we saw this coming. Like he was unbelievably ridiculous, top ten player in the National League this year, and uh, you know probably the third best hitter in the National League overall, behind Juan Soto in a shortened season for him and Freddie, of course. So uh, yeah, shout out to Marcelo Zuna. Obviously, you can't bank on this. I don't think long term because no one's this probably. But uh, yeah, I agree with Eric. I mean, if 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 the DH is in place and it boggles my mind as to why they haven't went ahead and announced that or given some teams some leeway here to plan on something. But alas, Rob Manfred runs Major League Baseball. Uh, yeah, if we assume the DH, I have to think that both sides would be interested in, in a return. But uh, yeah, Josh Marcelo Zuna, who was a huge part of this team. Hopefully he's, he continues to mash. There's no signs of slowing down, really, for him. So uh, he's obviously a huge part of this thing, even though we're going to talk about Freddie in a second. But uh, Azuna, honestly, put, put together an MVP-level season. He's not going to win it, nor should he, in my opinion. But still someone who honestly should get top five MVP votes, which is crazy to think about. Yep. I mean, what a freaking awesome situation. I know we're we're going to talk more about the playoffs here in a little bit, but once the Braves made that change to Acuna, Freddie, and Ozuna at the top with Travis Darno fourth more times than not, um, what a what a crazy lineup. I mean, the Cubs did it a couple years ago with Rizzo and Bryant um, and, and Baez. This is just a different level. I mean, as you said, you're talking about three of maybe the five or six best hitters in baseball this year, and I know it's 60 games, but... 60 games is 60 games. Um, it should be, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, it should be a real problem for other teams in the playoffs here. One would think, I have to say. Um, okay, post-clincher, the games didn't matter at all. They clinched number two seed pretty quickly. A um, couple of injuries to talk about real quickly. And, uh, you know, one of them was, the first one was Max Freed on Wednesday, who exited with the ankle tweak Anthopoulos came out the next day and said he, that he should be good to go for game one. We're all going to assume that, but that was not fun to see him uh, leave the game in a hurry. Later in the week, Ronald Acuna was scratched on Sunday with with what they were calling left wrist irritation. Um, you know, that's the same wrist that was bothering him before. They downplayed that, and obviously that he didn't need to play on Sunday, but still, you, you never love to see him be a Nelson lineup and then removed. And then Chris Martin pulled himself out of the game on Sunday with a right groin discomfort problem. He did not look comfortable at all. I saw David Lee, um, good friend of the program, tweeting about the fact that, you know, it's hard to pitch with that injury, quite obviously. If there's anything going on there, um, you know, I'm not sure that's great. Obviously, Chris Martin famously last year got injured at a really bad time. Um, Snicker did say he's day-to-day, and they're hopeful he can be ready for Wednesday. That's the good thing about this. The Braves have two days off now on Monday and Tuesday before they open the playoffs. But, uh, Eric, you know, that trio of injuries, you know, even if the if, if the ones to to Max and Ronald Acuna Jr. are minor, the Martin one matters, and that's that one seems to be the most scary at this point in time. But what's your concern level for all three of these injuries? Uh, for Acuna and, and Max, pretty low. It sounded like Acuna was wanting to play today. It just kind of like he mentioned that his wrist was a little bit sore, but he was going to go ahead and play. And like they just the, the Braves did what they were supposed to do. Like, oh, you're a little bit sore. Well, this game doesn't matter at all, so get out of there. Um, and I think they give him that little bit of extra rest is going to be an important thing. I don't think he's going to be completely healthy throughout the playoffs. 
just because the wrist, the wrist stuff has kind of consistently been an issue this year. You know, he's just been he's just been dealing with it. Uh, I don't think it's like a long lasting like crazy injury that requires surgery or anything, but it's just kind of one of those injuries that's just kind of hard that's just kind of lingering for him. So, can we expect him to be 100 percent throughout the playoffs? I don't necessarily think so, but I also don't think that for Ronald Acuna Jr. he has to be at 100 percent to be the scariest guy on the baseball field either. So, you know, I think that, you know, I, I just don't, I didn't put much talk into the, that, that particular injury. And I think that we would have heard more about Max if that ankle injury he has was going to be calling is, causing issues. The Chris Martin thing really, really stinks. And, you know, having Chris Martin pull himself out very quickly from a, play, a, 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 a relief appearance to be replaced by Luke Jackson again and then have, it goes sideways like it did today as the same way it did in the playoffs did not feel particularly great. I will have to, I have to say, but you know, this is a different bullpen. This is, this isn't a situation where you have to get your, your valuable innings out of Chris Martin. Otherwise you're kind of dipping into parts of the bullpen. You don't necessarily want to. Um, there's a lot of really good pieces in the bullpen itself. Uh, you know, AJ Minter's a different pitcher. Obviously, you have some guys who maybe aren't performing as well as you'd want them to do always. Well, looking at you, Will Smith, for example. But overall, <laughs> this is kind of a different bullpen uh, that is much deeper. And at least you're not finding out in the middle of a game that this guy's hurt. You actually have some time to plan around it. And if it ends up being a, like a longer, you know, sort of he needs to be out of a series or not, you know, not being playing for a while, then you have some options that you can bring up too. So, you know, again, is my concern level high? I wouldn't say high. But, you know, it's certainly some things to consider, especially since, you know, going from a lineup that has Ronald Acuna Jr. and Austin Riley to a lineup that has Pablo Zandoval and Ender Enciarte is definitely not something I'm particularly excited about. But I, I feel pretty good about all those guys kind of being able to get back on the mound and get back in the lineup. Before I ask Scott to jump in here, I do want to say I, I got a text from someone I would I would describe as close to the organization um, today. Uh, and it was not, it was, it was a joke this, to be serious, to be clear. This was, this is a joke, but he was like, well, currently picturing a, uh, a postseason outfield of Inciarte, Marquecas and Duvall. And I was like, Oh God, that's not fun. Uh, granted <laughs> it was, it was, it was a joke. It was a joke. It was not serious, but man, that would be brutal. And by the way, if that happened, if Ronnie, for some reason actually was hurt, which we're hoping he's not, I think that they would probably go with Ozuna in the outfield and like DH Darno. Yeah. Cause my God. Uh, anyway, Scott, do you have any uh, any lingering yeah. thoughts on the injuries? Are you worried at all about these guys? Uh, Chris Martin, is, as Eric said, is clearly the one to be concerned about of these. Uh, honestly, if the Braves, the way the Braves are constructed this week, they really couldn't give guys that many days off because they really only have the two position players on their bench. Um, if it was my call and they had the normal September expanded rosters, I don't think I would have put anybody in the lineup today. So, again, yeah. we don't know how Ronnie's really doing, but... I would imagine, in general, I would have taken Acuna out of the lineup, whether his wrist was bothering him a little bit or not. Just you don't want to risk whatever happening to him. Um, and that goes for all of the good players on the roster. So, uh, again, this year is a little bit different. You hope that Martin, uh, you hope that he's okay. I guess he has about 72 hours to try to get it resolved since the rosters aren't due until Wednesday. Um, it didn't look horrible i guess is if you're looking for a uh, semi-encouraging thing it wasn't like a very obvious oh no he's not going to throw baseball for a while but the fact that he called the trainer out after three or four pitches on sunday was not encouraging to say the least for sure and i will echo both of what you said about martin uh you know 
Martin, obviously, but the Acuna thing is so weird to try to diagnose from the outside. We have to assume the best because, you know, it should have been the lowest possible threshold to remove him from the lineup today. So, you know, we just have no, we have no idea of, we have sort of no way of knowing what it is, but we're going to assume and be positive because we are known on this podcast for being positive. Um, <laughs> last thing, last thing I want to, I want to get to from the week before we get into Freddie's MVP candidacy, which spoiler alert should be uh, pretty clear. Um, Friday was a lot of fun. I, I think the two, the two biggest plays of the week in terms of like just pure joy after the clincher, of course, was Ronald Acuna's bomb on Friday that was 495 feet by StatCast with a 112.9 miles per hour exit velocity. That was the longest home run, I believe, of the season in Major League Baseball by StatCast. Um, that was number one. And then number two is, of course, the Freddie Freeman walk-off, which is a good transition point as well. Freddie walks it off after not starting the game. He needed a day off. People were upset about that. It's like, no, he needed a day off. Um, of course, comes in and walks it off. So, uh, Scott, did you uh, have a reaction? Honestly, I was not watching the game live early on Friday, and I saw the Acuna home run come through on Twitter, and I believe my response was, dear God, on Twitter, because I-, I could not believe how hard he yeah. hit baseball. And it was like, you know, one of those visceral reactions that you see like, Oh my goodness, that ball uh, is not going to land for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, we've, was this the third full year now of SunTrust or truest? Um, I don't know. <laughs> truest, I, Scott. <laughs> truest. truest. Actually, I think it's year four now, but um, when I saw it live, my reaction was, I don't think I've ever seen a ball hit out to left center like that. And I believe that was confirmed that nobody has ever hit one to the concourse in left center. Anybody who's been to Truist knows just how insanely far away that is from home plate. So, uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a cutter that didn't really cut, and it was right into Ronnie's bat, bat path, and um, he, he crushed it. So, again, going off on the wrist thing, the fact that he was hitting pretty well this past week is encouraging as well. If he was really scuffling and they scratched him, I think we should be a little more concerned. But for that very reason, I think he'll be fine. I would have taken the over on 495 or 113 on those on, on those stack cap numbers because again I, I when I, I when I go to games like just just watching them I like to sit out there that is a long long ways and I I, I thought that when once the camera like couldn't get the ball landing in frame and I'm like that ball's <laughs> 500 feet away you know what I mean I mean, and to I get mean ball it kind back, of it kind of was to be fair I mean well, I'm not an expert but, on this. Like, yeah, yeah, I would. I was thinking like Aaron Judge level, like crazy numbers. You know, Giancarlo Stanton type exit velocity type numbers. But again, that that one was absolutely. It, it, I, you don't get to see balls hit like that very often. The only one that was close for me, and it wasn't even in a game, is that I got to watch Evan Gaddis take a batting practice once, and he oh was my. like putting balls in places. I'm like, baseballs don't go there, you know. Yeah, but that no, was I mean... you know batting practice. So not yet, not, not, not a competitive game. Uh, and also like, you know, 495, I'm not someone who, you know, there's been lots of talk this year. I feel like on the internet, especially like about like conspiracy theories on home run, home run distance. And I, I just don't care about that, but 495 by Statcast was number one in the league again this season. That was, uh, and it looked like it, like sometimes your eyes can be fooled by home runs and where they land. And I saw Mike Petriello do an explainer about this recently, but that one was just uh, annihilated, and uh, it gave me great joy, frankly. As just scrolling the timeline, like, oh, I'm covering basketball. What's going on? In the re-? Oh my goodness, <laughs> it was one of those it just like stop mid sentence in my brain. Wow. Um, okay, that's probably enough on what happened 
this week. I do want to wrap the podcast up. And spoiler alert, we're basically going two parts. Like one of these, the one you're listening to now is going to be up on Sunday night. And then the uh, part two will be essentially the playoff series preview against the Reds. We're going to get to that, I promise. But uh, Freddie's MVP candidacy, we spent some time on this last week. Uh, we weren't 100% sure he was going to win it last week. Uh, now I'm pretty confident. Uh, Step uh, the stage a little bit here. Freddie finishes, at least with the live stats from Fangraphs from today, with a 3.4 Fangraphs war in 60 games. Now that is outrageously good, obviously. That's number one in the National League. Tatis finishes at 3.0. Mookie Betts at 2.9. Freddie was the most valuable hitter in the National League by a lot. Uh, This is a slash line that I can't believe I'm about to read. 341, 462, 640, that's a 456 Woba, a 187 WRC Plus to uh, basically lead the league among qualifiers, uh, a 17.2% walk rate, and a 299 ISO for Freddie. I will I will say this, Juan Soto actually had better numbers than Freddie this season on a per-game basis, but he only played 13, uh, 13 fewer games, and uh, in a season this long, that's not enough to win MVP. So just Juan Soto, he's really good, but Freddie was, again, by far the most valuable hitter this season. We'll, we'll stop there for now. Uh, in addition to the COVID storyline, returning from that, the team success, all that stuff. Uh, we'll go to Eric first. Um, is Freddie just the MVP or are we, uh, should we be try to be unbiased? Like think about other people. Like I, I've seen Braves fans just saying this is over. Is it, is it over? It should be. Uh, I think that look, posting like an 1100 OPS over a 60 game stretch is already just nuts on its face. Um, and when you take factor into the fact that Freddie had like was 0.4 war over in a 60 game stretch, better than Tatis or Betts playing as a first baseman when Tatis is a shortstop and a good one and Betts is a good outfielder. So that how much better he has been on a very good baseball team. I, I don't, I just don't I mean, look, there's going to be the, there's going to be the, the story about Tatis Jr. being a really young guy, and he's like the hot name. And as hot as he was at the beginning of the season, you know, there's going to be guys, teams, folks that remember that. Obviously, with Mookie, he's both very, very good and in a very big market. So there's just going to be people who are going to push that storyline. I just think that if you look from the beginning of the season to the end, what Freddie has done for this lineup, and even at his worst stretches, he was still a top 20 player in baseball all year long. And it's just, it seems like. You know, the the storyline is there, whether he was sick and he comes back. The team's been great. He's been perennially underrated for, like, forever now. He should have been placing higher in a lot of MVP voting, you know, for, for multiple seasons. And now you have a very clear case where he was very clearly the best hitter in baseball for the entirety of the season. He stayed healthy. You know, he helped carry the team. He does everything that you'd want from him from an offensive standpoint other than actually being a a base runner of, of note. Uh, I don't really necessarily want him, you know, trying to change that by trying to steal more bases. Cause when he's trying to run, it's, you know, <laughs> no. it's the, well, no, let's just not do that. But other than that, I mean, he, he does everything that you'd want at the plate, you know, is a, like, I think could be a really great face for baseball too. I think that from, you know, just from the numbers and from all the narrative stuff, like I, he's a clear choice for me. And I really hope that the writers don't screw this up. I will interject here before I, before I let Scott answer. Um, just to point out, to, to be uh, fair, uh, this is not updated because Baseball Reference is not updated until, until overnight. So Fangraphs has the live stats. Baseball Reference does not. But coming into Sunday, it was actually Mookie Betts with a relatively comfortable war lead by their metric. Now, even they had Freddie as the most valuable offensive player in 
the National League, but they obviously give Betts the defensive advantage, which he should have. He's a better defender at a better position than Freeman. But I want to just put that out for the put that put that out there for the uh, fairness aspect to say that Betts actually did great as the best player in the National League by Baseball Reference. So it wasn't unanimous in the way that Fangraphs actually was. But uh, I tend to agree with what Eric said. Still, uh, Scott, do you have thoughts on uh, Freddie's MVP case? I think the one thing that really probably favors Freddie here is you, we've talked about Tatis, we've talked about Mookie Betts, we've talked about Manny Machado. Um, all of those guys are, are on the West Coast, and uh, maybe I'm biased being on the West Coast, but I think there's certainly a uh, bias. And naturally, when, when games are starting at 10 o'clock Eastern time, I think riders on the East Coast saw a whole lot more of Freddie Freeman this year than they did of Tatis, Machado, or Betts. Um, so the fact that those guys might also split some votes also works in Freddie's favor. Uh, there's really nobody on, uh, I guess, Acuna or, or Ozuna could steal a couple of votes from Freddie, though I don't think they're going to get first place votes by any means. So um, I, I think Freddie's pretty clearly, at least for me, the MVP. Um, I guess if Tatis gets it, just to kind of give him, uh, you know, the Padres were, were a really enjoyable team this year. I guess I could maybe wrap my head around that. Um, I don't think Machado gets it. I don't think Mookie gets it. I think um, I, I think it's Freddie's year. I think it's been a long time coming. At some point, you talk about a guy being so underrated for so long that I think it almost becomes like engraved in your head. It's, it's kind of like the Russell Wilson MVP vote thing, right? At some point, it's like, yeah, maybe we should vote for this guy. Um, that kind of feels like it's going to be Freddie's year here, and, and hopefully he's re- rewarded with that here coming soon. I totally agree, and, uh, you know, Something you know, we're, not, we're not the biggest narrative-driven podcast out there, but honestly, you can't overstate Freddie having COVID, saying on the record he thought he might die. Like Fred, that was—I'm I'm not trying to be funny about it, but Freddie said that on the record. Like he had a fever in the 104-105 range. Like the man was in serious peril physically on the eve of the season. Shows up with like you know a couple days before the year we weren't even sure he was going to start the season and essentially, you know, played every day all year long and was incredible. Like granted, he took, it took a second to ramp up, but that kind of tells you, you know, how good he was in September. I mean, he had a WRC plus of like 225 or something like that in September. Like the guy was just out of his mind for the large majority of the season. So, you know, I know there is a narrative factor for Tatis as sort of that face of the league coming up and he was so hot early that I thought he actually might run away with it but he cooled off considerably Betts is probably the best player of this group if we're with, with all with all respect to Freddie who's awesome Mookie Betts is the guy most people think is like the number two player in baseball behind Mike Trout but still like it wasn't like Mookie Betts had an off the chart season for him he was very good he's very good at baseball but narrative wise I think as a tiebreaker I'm not a big fan of voting for narrative but it does matter and in this case, I'm not sure that the narrative doesn't actually help Freddie. And if it does, then he sh- then he probably will win comfortably. Because if you look at the numbers, I think he should I think he should win objectively. So, um, but if you throw in the narrative and the fact and the fact that I think he actually has the best case yeah. that you know the more uh, I would say fungible writers might look at, he's got the box score stats too. Like he's got the, the, the traditional batting average. He was number two in batting average. That matters too. Like I think he's just got every box checked right now. Yeah, and on a good team too. I think that matters. Yep. If, if we that were always, talking that about that, always matters. Un- unfortunately, yeah. that always matters <laughs> yep. in baseball. Right, it's why Mike Trout hasn't won it like nine years in a row or something crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, know, and I, I, I get it, but like, maybe it could be a tiebreaker for you. But in baseball, you you just cannot overstate how little one player can do on a baseball field. Mike yeah. Trout has been the best player in the world for a decade now, 
and he cannot do anything to get the Angels in the playoffs. And want to know whose fault that isn't? Mike Trout. Like, what's he, what's he supposed to do? I don't know. But anyway, yep. Freddie doesn't have that. I'm, I'm glad for our sake and for the Braves' sake that's not, that's not a concern this time around because Freddie was on a good team the entire way. He was the best player on that team this year. He just he should win, frankly. Like, we're not homers, honestly, on this podcast in the way that a lot of people might be. He just should win. He's got the best case. Yeah. And, I mean, if you want just even an example from this year, who is arguably on a rate basis the best hitter in the National League? That would be Juan Soto. And yep. the Washington Nationals, I don't know if you look at their record by the end of the season, but it didn't look so hot. So, you know, it was not Juan Soto's fault, things. but yes, exactly. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely not Juan Soto's fault. He, if he was not on that team, it would have been worse somehow. I'm, I'm still kind of grabbing my head around wild how bad the Nationals end up being. But again, I mean, we saw examples this year where, you know, guys played really well and it wasn't good enough. And, you know, in this particular case, you have a situation in Freddie where he's on a really good team and he was the best hitter all year. Yeah, I uh, agree with all of that. By the way, one quirk I wanted to mention, I like fan graphs more than baseball reference. I kind of always have. Um, that's not a shot at baseball reference because it's very useful. But uh, I'm not sure you guys know this and I'm springing it on you. Uh, if I were to ask you who the other top five position player war guy is on this Braves team in the National League, who would you say? Not you know, Freddie's number two, just for just to be just to be, just to be clear, Freddie's number two. Who do, you, who do you think the other guy in the top five is? I think it's Dansby because of the defense, but I could be wrong. Dansby Swanson coming into today was number four in the National yeah. League among baseball and baseball reference position player war. Yeah. What? That's not a joke. They, so defense, the defense uh, I'm, I'm with you. And 100%. that's why, and that's why Betts yeah. is number one by, by comfortable margin. So mm-hmm. I just want to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to crap on it. I just think it's, <laughs> that's noteworthy to me. Uh, Dansby was good this year. Swanson. Yep. Me too. But if he, he was the he was fourth good. best <laughs> player, I, I have issues with that. <laughs> yeah. He, he was good this year. Uh, and again, that's coming into today. So the numbers might change by the time you're listening to this, but Dansby, uh, Probably not a top five player in the National League this year, just by my uh, my own standards. Probably, probably not. I would think he was that not. good defensively. He wasn't even that good defensively this year. Oh, oh, oh well, oh, that's beside the point, but that's fine. Anyway, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but uh, I was just doing the research on, on Freddie, uh, and I was like, wait, why is why is Dansby seen as better than Ozuna and Acuna, by the way? Uh, disagree with that, alas. Okay, well, unless you guys have more to share, we're going to wrap up this now. Uh, again, my our plan is to keep recording, essentially, with the three of us. And we'll have you have another, another podcast in the next 24 to 36 hours, something like that. I want to give you some time to listen to this one. But our next show will be here in short order, previewing the three-game series upcoming against the Cincinnati Reds. Spoiler alert, the team that I did not want the Braves to play. I'm not sure if you guys agree. I think, I think you probably do. Um, but we'll get into that on the, on the next one. So please subscribe to the podcast. Please, please, please subscribe. We're going to do a lot of content, hopefully, on this particular audio medium in the coming days and weeks. But please follow Eric. Please follow Scott. Follow me if you want to get some basketball takes. Follow the show and uh, and also the site at TalkingChop.com. And, uh, yeah, hold tight. We'll be back again in about 24 hours. So we'll see you then.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.